This is the podcast of Redemption Bible Church, where applicational preaching is a distinctive of our church. For more information, log on to redemptionfw.org. Thanks for listening. It's good to be back with you all after vacation and preaching at North Park last week. It's good to be back. Acts chapter 17, verse 10. Acts 17, verse 10. It says this, The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea, and when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Many of them therefore believed, with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea also, they came there too, agitating and stirring up the crowds. Then the brothers immediately sent Paul off on his way to the sea, but Silas and Timothy remained there. Those who conducted Paul brought him as far as Athens, and after receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible, they departed. Let's pray. God, we uh, love your word. We want to be people of your word. And we need to realize and understand that that means we need to be under the authority of your word and not over your word. And so as we seek uh, for what you would have for us this morning in your word, I pray we would have that heart. We would have a heart to be changed and grown through the power of your word, through your spirit moving and working as you've promised. God, help us be people who love Jesus through your word. And would you grow that even now as we approach your word? We just ask all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Abraham Lincoln has always been a very fascinating historical figure to me. Uh, Lincoln came from a very, very humble background, if you didn't know this. In 1816, his family was forced out of their home, and so much so that Abraham had to get a job and begin supporting his family at a very, very young age. Two years later, his mom died, so he grew up for a good portion of his childhood without a mother. He failed in business twice in 1831 and in 1833. Both he tried to start two different businesses. And because of that, he racked up so much debt that it took 17 years for him to repay all of that debt from those businesses. He was engaged to be married in 1835, but his fiancee passed away and he was almost in a nervous breakdown for six months after that. Between 1832 and 1856, he contested and lost a total of seven elections at various levels of government. You would expect, after all of that, a guy like that to be battered and beaten down and to quit and want to give up. But in 1860, Abraham Lincoln contested and was elected president of the United States. He faced adversity after adversity. He probably should have quit in the eyes of most people. He was seeing very little fruit of all of his labor, working hard, working hard, and not just seeing much fruit, but he persevered. 
I couldn't help think of that story as I was reading and studying for our passage here in Acts because it made me think of the Apostle Paul and Abraham Lincoln and how Paul was probably feeling very much the same way. He's been to city after city, he's preaching the word, he's being persecuted, he's been beaten, he's getting run out of all of these places, and he is probably or should be probably feeling beat down and rejected. He was just run out of Thessalonica, and then he flees to Berea, which is about 45 miles southwest, and then he shows up, and what's he do? He does the same thing that he's been doing in every city that he's going to. He's faithful. He goes into the synagogue. He begins preaching the word. He continues to persevere in the face of adversity. God's not showing Paul a lot of fruit so far in the book of Acts. He's seeing a whole lot of opposition, some fruit, but a whole lot of opposition to him directly. But the Lord's going to be gracious to Paul in this passage because there's, there's a major difference in this passage than what we've seen up to this point. Look at verse 11. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. He interacts, he encounters the Bereans. And the Bereans were different. They respond differently than the Jews in the other synagogues have responded. The Bereans love the word of God. They hold the word of God in super high esteem. And different, they use the word of God to actually check what Paul is saying. That's the difference. They love the word. They search the word. They pursue God through the word. For a church like ours... We're like, the Bereans, these are our people. We love the Word of God. They love the Word of God. That's, that's who we are. I mean, Bible is our middle name, right? We stand up and we preach the Word every week. We sing the Word every week. We talk about it in small groups. We just did a redemption you on how to study the Word. The Word is a really big deal around here, as it should be. But I think we really need to consider this morning if we are actually like the Bereans. Are we really like the Bereans? Because, you know, we can love the Bible and not be like the Bereans. We can love the Bible for the sake of puffing ourselves up, for the sake of just not being like those other people, for the sake of knowledge that doesn't actually move us any closer to God. We can love the Bible. But loving the Bible isn't actually what made the, diff the Bereans different than the Thessalonians. Pursuing God through the Bible is what made them different. Luke records a very different interaction here, and I'd like to dive in and discover why and how the Bereans are different this morning. So our big idea this morning is this. I will pursue God through his word. I will pursue God through his word. I think that's what Luke is, would call us to as we consider who the Bereans were and how they interacted, that we would pursue God through his word. And I think there are four ways from this text that we pursue God through his word. The first is this. I will receive the word. I will receive the word. Let your eyes fall back on Acts 17, verse 10. 
It says this, The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness. They received the word with all eagerness. So Paul and Silas leave by night to go to Berea. They're run out of Thessalonica. Again, it's about 45 miles southwest. The average person in that day would travel somewhere between 20 and 30 miles a day on foot. So it was about a two to two and a half day journey. That'll be even more significant in a minute when we get there. So they travel about two and a half days to find their next ministry opportunity. And what do they do? They do what they've done in every town up to this point. They go and they go to the synagogue and they just start teaching again. But again, at the verse... At the beginning of verse 11, Berea is much different. These Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. The Bereans wanted to hear what Paul had to say. The word noble, being more noble here, really carries the force of being open-minded. They were more open-minded to what Paul had to say. In fact, so much so that they received the word. And that word received really means they were receptive to or open to the words that Paul was saying. So just stop for a minute and try to put yourself in the shoes of these Bereans. They are Jews who love the Old Testament. They are committed to temple worship They're God-fearing Jews who have grown up knowing and hearing about a Messiah, about all of the things of the Old Testament. And then Paul shows up and says, let me tell you about your Messiah. And he opens the word and he shows them Jesus from the Old Testament. And they listen. Is that how we would respond? I don't know. Oftentimes we're way more closed-minded than that, I think. But they listen. They have an open mind. Not just partially, but the text says, with eagerness, they receive the word. They were zealous. They were zealously receptive to the word of God. Is that how you respond when you're faced with the word of God? Do we hear others like that? Not in a, I'm just going to believe whatever you say sort of way, but in a, I'm actually going to hear you out to try to understand what you're saying so that I can see whether the word of God actually says what you're saying and that, how that lines up with who I am. Or do we just assume, uh, I'm right, I understand this, I know this, and just go about our business assuming that they're wrong. There's a danger in being Bible-loving believers. That danger is that we love the Bible and we miss the God of the Bible. We can love the Bible so much that we actually don't see the God of the Bible in the Bible. Because we get so fired up about understanding theology and knowing all of these things that I actually miss the God of the theology. We become closed-minded by our views so much so that we can actually miss when God is working and moving and who God is. 
So how do I pursue God by receiving the word? How do I pursue God by receiving the word? Humility. It takes humility. The difference between the Bereans and the Thessalonians is humility. These Jews both were living, from what we understand, life as a devout Jew. One decides that they're actually going to listen and have an open mind when Paul comes. And the other group, the Thessalonians, decide that they're going to run Paul out and attack him and not even really hear his message. The Bereans seek to place themselves under the authority of the Word of God. What's the authority of the Word of God? Wayne Grudem defines it this way. The authority of Scripture means that all the words in Scripture are God's words in such a way that to disbelieve or disobey any word of Scripture is to disbelieve or disobey God. They believe that God wrote a book. We believe that. Amen? We believe God wrote a book and that he has revealed himself to us in this book. And so when we obey this word, when we seek to see the God of this word, we will find him. The Bereans were more worried about getting it right than they were about being right. See, so often we get so fired up about being right, our pride takes over, and I just want to win the argument that I am not willing to seek and find and actually see what the real answer is because my pride takes over, and so I get so fired up about getting it right, or about being right, that I don't get it right because my pride gets in the way. They were willing to humbly say, you know what, I have these ideas about who the Messiah is, but I may not see all of that 100% accurately, so I'm going to search the word to see what it says about it. When the word of God challenged their thinking, they were open to the word of God doing that. That takes a whole lot of humility. Pride says, I can't be wrong, something else is off here because I am right. Humility says, the word can't be wrong, so I must be. Imagine that two friends approach you about starting a little computer company, being the responsible, financially established one. You take it upon yourself to write out the contract and divvy up the stock of how that will go if things go well, all of those things. But 12 days in, you decide, you know what? Things really aren't going the way that I would do them. It's not going quite right. So I'm just going to sell my portion of the company and I'm going to move on because I'm worried that I'm going to lose everything. Your pride says, these guys aren't doing what I would do. So I'm going to move on. So you sell 10% that you own of the company for about $3,500. The year is 1976. His name was Ronald Wayne, and he was the little-known third founder of Apple. Today, that 10% of Apple would be worth about $201 billion. Whoops. That wasn't worth 3500 bucks at all, was it? 
He heard the idea. He thought for a second it had merit. He even put his weight behind it, his effort behind it, but then it wasn't going his way, so he bailed. And that was not a good decision. It cost him big time. His pride got in the way and cost him in a really, really big way. And church, we have a way more sure deal than Apple ever was. We have a God who has written a book to show us himself, to declare to us who he is so that we can know him and love him. Proverbs 30 verse 5 says this, every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Every word proves true. Not some words, not most words, not we hope these words. Every single word of this book proves to be true because God wrote the book. Do we trust that God enough to put ourselves under the authority of what he has said? When challenged by the truth of the word, do you receive the word or do you reject the word because of your pride? What fuels the way that you live most, your thoughts or God's thoughts from his word? The first way to be like the Bereans, we need to receive the word. The second is this, I will examine the word. I will examine the word. Let your eyes fall back on verse 11. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. They examined the word. The Greek lexicon bdag uh, defines that this way, to engage in careful study of a question, question, examine. The idea is they carefully took what Paul said and they went and compared it with Scripture. How much? How much does the text say they did that? Daily. Daily. Every day. They took what they were being taught and went and they diligently searched the word to see if it was true. They compared what they were being taught with, with the truth of what they knew, the truth of what they could read, the truth of all of that from Scripture. The Bible was their standard of truth. And by the way, this is what you should be doing every time somebody stands on the stage and declares what the Word is to you. You should be checking us to make sure that what we're saying is actually in line with all of Scripture. We're not infallible. We make mistakes. We try to be diligent, but you should be people who are testing us every time we step in this pulpit. The Bible was their standard of truth. It was the measuring stick by which they measured everything else. So how do I pursue God by examining the word? How do I pursue God by examining the word? I think that takes honesty. It takes honesty. And I think honesty in two primary ways, two questions that we need to ask ourselves in line with honesty. What is your standard of truth, really? What is your standard of truth? Is your standard of truth your view of the world? That's an easy one to hold. 
How about how you would do things? When somebody goes to do something different than you would do it, even if it turns out okay, are you still a little upset that it turned out okay because they didn't do it your way? That's probably a good indicator that how you would do things is the way in which you view the world. It's your standard of truth. What about what others say about you? When you scroll through your social media and see likes and comments and all of those things, how much does that directly impact your mood or your outlook on the day? Can that wreck you in a moment or really build you up in an unhealthy way in a moment? If so, what others say about you may be your standard of truth. What about science? Some of you worry that science may uncover something that will disprove the Bible. Or that maybe your science even trumps good exegesis of Scripture at times. Or I know this is true of some of you. What about the news cycle? Do you take in more current events than you take in Scripture? Do you find yourself regularly encouraged or discouraged by the news that you listen to? Who informs your worldview? Is it Newsmax? Is it Fox News, CNN? Or is it actually the Bible? For some of you, you struggle in politics or the Constitution. If the Constitution were changed by politicians, what would your first reaction be? Does that line up with what the rest of Constitution says, or does that line up with what Scripture says? What's the standard of truth? Do you battle more for your constitutional rights or your God-given biblical responsibility? I think we need to honestly ask ourselves what our standard of truth is actually. And the second question that I think we need to wrestle with is how do you actually arrive at decisions? How do you actually arrive at decisions? Consider the last major decision, maybe even minor decisions that you've made. What passages in scripture support those decisions? Okay, when did you seek out that support for those decisions? What other sources did you go to before you went to Scripture to make those decisions? Those things are all motivators that tell you what your actual standard of truth is, what you actually, the grid that you actually make decisions through. See, I know that fruits and vegetables are healthier for me than ribs and bacon. But knowing and doing are very different things. My diet says that I believe ribs and bacon are much better for me than fruits and vegetables are. And isn't this so true of us so often that what we know and what we actually do don't match? There is a gap between what I know and what I actually do and how I actually live. It's why we need honest evaluation of ourselves compared to the word. 
I need to look at how I'm living and hold that up against the word of God and say, do those two things mesh? I also need people in my life because I don't see myself fully accurately. I need people in my life to say, this is how you're living. This is what the word of God says. Those two things don't align. I need to be called to the mat at times and say, the word says this, you're living like this. What's going on in your heart that is driving that? We need honest evaluation of ourselves. So the question this morning for you is, are you being honest with yourself and the Lord about what you are actually examining daily? What are you taking in more than the word? I will receive the word. I will examine the word. I will believe the word. I will believe the word. Look at verse 12. Look at verse 12 of Acts 17. Many of them, the Jews, therefore believed with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. Many of them believed. The word of God did what the word of God does. Through the power of the spirit, it pressed them to Jesus. When the word of God goes out, it presses us to grow to be more like Jesus. Let me prove it to you. Hebrews 4 verse 12 says this, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The word of God does all of those things. The word of God lays us bare. It won't return void. Isaiah 55 verse 10, for as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. God's word has a purpose. That purpose is to make Jesus known. And as it makes Jesus known, to grow those who read and understand who Jesus is to be more like him. But so often, we read the Bible and make it about us. We make everything about us. That's what pride does. We look at the Bible and we see a bunch of rules and we see a bunch of regulations and we see, man, I need to do this, man, I need to do this. And yes, those things are there so that God is saying, this is how life will go best for you. They are not there for nothing, but they are there ultimately to point us to Jesus and show us who Jesus is. The Bible is a book to proclaim the word, Jesus. The word proclaims the word. And it is through that truth of who Jesus is that we grow. Why? Because we become what we behold. We become what we behold. 2 Corinthians 3 verses 18, verse 18 tells us that. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. The purpose of Scripture is for you to believe more fully in Jesus, the Word. That's it. So how do we pursue God by believing the word? 
with hope, with hope. That word believe is defined as this, to entrust oneself to an entity in complete confidence. To entrust oneself to an entity in complete confidence. I don't have to worry. I don't have to fear. I don't need the approval of others. Why? Because I have hope. I have hope that Jesus will grow me. I have hope that Jesus has saved me. I have hope in a future with Jesus that is far greater than anything this world could ever offer. We pursue God in hope that he has given us through his son, Jesus. So I have to ask you this morning, where is your hope actually? As you honestly look back at last week, where was your hope? Is your hope in some future version of yourself? If I just get this thing cleaned up or that thing cleaned up in a couple years, I'm going to be in a much, much better place. Things are going to be awesome because I've got it together. Maybe you find your hope in a relationship. When this thing gets restored and I get that relationship working, things are going to be great. Maybe it's in some activity that's coming up. Maybe it's the hope of a vacation in just a couple weeks. Then I'll have hope because now I've, I've got rest coming my way. Maybe it's your job or your kid's success. Look, I can go on and on and on about all these places that we put false hope. But what you need to do is honestly ask yourself this morning, where is my hope, really? What honestly brings me peace? What gets me out of the bed in the morning? Is it really Jesus? Really? Honestly? We know the word has power. We talk about it all the time from this pulpit. All the time. And we should. But then too often we functionally, we, we walk out of these walls and we live like everything depends on us. Yes, hope, the word has power, Jesus is awesome, and then I walk out the door and I forget all of that and I'm like gonna muscle it up and just do it on my own. How's your pursuit of Jesus? Does it show that you believe he is the only thing that you need? Believe to entrust oneself to an entity in complete confidence, complete confidence. What are you holding back from trusting Jesus with this morning? He can take it. He can bear the weight of whatever it is that you don't think he can functionally. You can have hope. You can have peace. You can give that thing and trust him with whatever it is. What I want to tell you this morning is you're holding something back to Jesus' belief. Believe. Put your hope in the right place. He can bear that weight. I will receive the word. I will examine the word. I will believe the word. And the fourth, I will proclaim the word. I will proclaim the word. Look back at verse 13 of Acts 17. 
But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea also, they came there too, agitating and stirring up the crowds. What a bunch of jerks. Then the brothers immediately sent Paul off on his way to the sea, but Silas and Timothy remained there. Those who conducted Paul brought him as far as Athens, and after receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible, they departed. Paul was proclaiming the word. He went into the synagogue and he was declaring the word of God. That the idea of that word is to make known in public with this implication of it moving broadly. He was announcing. There was broad dissemination of the word in Berea. The word was traveling. It was traveling so much so that, remember I said 45 miles, two and a half days journey? These uh, Thessalonians hear about it and they travel down to stop it. Two and a half days. That's some commitment to go that far to try to stamp out the word moving forward. The text says that Paul proclaimed the word But these Bereans were being impacted by the truth of the word. It was changing them. They were having conversation about it in the synagogue. So much so that the news was traveling. So how do we pursue God by proclaiming the word? How do we pursue God by proclaiming the word in heart? What do I mean by heart? Truth that changes us shouldn't stay somewhere. It should be moving forward. If my heart has been radically changed by Jesus, if I understand what Jesus really saved me from, that truth should be overflowing into proclamation. If I could cure cancer, I wouldn't lock that cure in a vault. We all know that cancer is terrible, and we would want the opportunity to try to cure as many people from cancer as we possibly could if we had the answer. And the truth that we have about Jesus is far better than a cure for cancer. A cure for cancer may help some earthly bodies live a little bit longer, but if they don't know Jesus, they're still going to burn in hell for eternity. The truth of the gospel is their cure for eternity. And also, by the way, it's also the most fulfilling life that they can live here on earth. Psalm 16, verse 11. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. When we walk In the presence and the understanding and the knowledge and the love of Jesus, there is fullness of joy. This doesn't mean it's going to be easy. But it is the most fulfilling life we can live this side of heaven is to be close to Jesus. So, yes, we want to declare to them that their eternity is secure. And that's an amazing truth. But even more than that, God gives us more That we can have fullness of joy right now in this moment by knowing Jesus. So I think the question that we have to answer if we are struggling to proclaim is how much do we really understand Jesus? How much do we really love Jesus? 
when we are, see ourselves accurately as dreadfully sinful, and Jesus as accurately as glorious and righteous and the one who saved us from that sinfulness, that should have an impact on what we want to proclaim. When we're living in that truth, it should really be impacting you. Is it? Is it impacting you? Are you proclaiming Jesus? Look, proclamation is fruit. And we don't just pursue fruit, but our fruit doesn't say nothing either. Our fruit really is an indicator of what's going on in our heart, which is the thing that really drives the fruit. And so my question for you this morning is not, hey, go proclaim, go proclaim, go be better proclaimers, but we need to be in pursuit of loving Jesus more because if you aren't proclaiming, then that's saying something about where your heart is really fixed. Are we really like the Bereans? Really? Are we receiving the word with humility, examining the word with honesty, believing the word with hope, and proclaiming the word with heart? Church, we can't just be a church that likes the idea of the Bible and wants to just fill our heads with more Bible knowledge. We can't be a church that just loves the Bible. We need to be a people committed to loving the God of the Bible. The Bible is a vehicle to take us to a person. It's not the end game. We can't be content to just know the word. We have to be in pursuit of knowing the God of the word. Only then, only when we pursue God through his word, Will we be more noble like the Bereans? Only then will the word actually be accomplishing its purpose. The word of God's purpose is not for us to just know more stuff. It's for us to love Jesus more. So let's be in passionate pursuit of that through his word. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you that there are times when your word lays us flat, when it knocks us on our face, when it drops us to our knees because we are faced with the idea that we need to change, that we need to grow. God, I pray that even this morning, this this text would have done that for most of us, if not all of us, to challenge us to love Jesus more. And God, I pray that you would protect us, protect us in this room from hearing from the word this morning that I need to be a better proclaimer and I need to do this better and I need to do that better. And God, direct us through your spirit to loving Jesus more and and pursuing him because only when we do that do those other things come they are fruit of a heart that is fixed on Christ so God I pray as we open your word this week as we seek to study as we seek 
to find you in devotions and just spend time with you, God. I pray that you would make those times not about us, but you would make those times about us seeing Jesus more fully. Grow us to be more like him as we see him, as we love him, as we lean in to who he is. We'll trust you for that work. It's in the precious name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Thank you, church. You are left.